Like, why are we dealing with emotions? I wanted you to hear from me that the reason we're dealing with emotions is so that you and I can actually deal with who we are and what has gone on in our lives and what's deep down in there so that then we can actually have relationship with other people. What keeps genuine relationships from happening, I should say, one of the primary things that keeps real relationships from happening, is your inability to actually go deep into the emotional level of who you are as a person. And if the Christian community cannot do that, if we cannot express our humanity to one another, then what kind of witness of the coming world are we in the present? So please hear me that this emotion series that we've been going on is not just like a self-help series, if you've thought that. It's not just a, a, a series on how to make you feel better. It's a series on how we can actually come together as true humans being made into the image of Jesus and go deep into our relationships with one another. Because that's where life is found. And so this morning, we are dealing with the last of the eight emotions, the primary emotions that we have been dealing with. And it's going to be the emotion of gladness or joy. And in many ways, the emotion of gladness and joy is the capstone. It's the last on purpose. Because joy and gladness comes as you are willing to put in the work and deal with the other seven emotions. If you don't deal with the other seven emotions, joy and gladness will not be found in you. So we say this, you have to put the work in. Like coming, and I've learned this, that coming and just learning about emotions is not enough. There has to be work that you do when you feel lonely, when you feel sad, when you feel shame, when you feel guilt. What do you do with those emotions? And we've been showing you, and there's a, can you go to the chart slide? Um, and this is going to be up for a long time. You probably can't read it. If, the problem is, is all eight are up there at the same time, right? Okay. But as you feel all these emotions, they are gifts that God has given you to lead you somewhere. But so often our sin and our selfishness leads us away and it becomes an impairment to us. And if we're not willing to deal with our anger, our hurt, our loneliness, our sadness, then we're not really going to actually learn how to deal with our emotions so that we can have better relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. And one of the things I would say about putting the work in is this, is that you must have a willingness to allow your heart to take a risk of vulnerability in spite of past experience. Despite your past experiences, you have to be willing to put yourself and your heart in a place of vulnerability yet again. Let me give you an example of this. How many of you have been hurt by some other person in your lifetime? Everyone can raise your hand. The deeper that hurt is, the more that you do what emotionally? You put up walls of protection and you ensure that no one else is going to hurt me again. That will never, that person, I will never be hurt like that again. How many times have you said that to yourself? And all those walls that you put up around you then inhibit any further future genuine relationship with any other person. 
See, putting in the work means you must put yourself in a place of vulnerability yet again. And that is hard, isn't it? Some of you are dealing with sadness, and, and you, like for me, you look at pictures, and June 13th is coming up next Sunday, and it'll actually be five years since Shelley died. And, and putting up pictures is just like, ah! But you have to put yourself in the place of vulnerability yet again to feel the grief, to feel the sadness, and to see that this is a yearning and crying out for hope. And if you're not willing to put in the work, you're never going to actually change, and your relationships are never going to change, and our witness for the kingdom of God is not going to change. So these are not just a self-help series. This is not just like an awakening to who we are. It's actually having to do with everything we are as the people of God. And so as we put in the work and we put in the willingness to do that, we also need patience. Because if you're going through sadness and you put yourself in a place to feel the sadness, you just want the one-time sadness to cure it all, don't you? That isn't how life works. That's not how God has designed us. And so we need to give ourselves time and patience and willingness to keep working through all of the hurt and the fears and the shame and the guilt that we feel. And gladness comes as we are willing to put in the time and be patient with all the other feelings. So hurts. When you feel hurt, it is speaking. It's like, a, it's like a gift. When you feel hurt, it's like a gift saying, you know what? I want healing. I want wholeness. Loneliness speaks to a gift that you want relationship, that you want friendship. Sadness, when you feel it, speaks to your desire to honor and value what matters to your heart. When you're sad, something really matters to you and you're not able to express that and feel it and enjoy that. Anger speaks to your passion and your desire to risk and go through pain in order to achieve. And fear speaks to our desire to be prepared and choose wisely and succeed at what we're doing. Shame speaks to our desire to have abundant life and the understanding of our limitations as humans and, and to give ourselves to something more than what we are, to the kingdom of God. And as Nate spoke about two weeks ago, guilt speaks to our desire to be reconciled and unburdened so we can live in freedom. See, if we could take our emotions and see them as gifts for healing and wholeness and desire for relationship and to honor what matters to us as humans and, and to be prepared and clearly understand what God wants us to do and to live in freedom. When you can actually do all that, you know what is the result of all that? Gladness. Joy. Gladness and joy come as a result of our willingness to experience all of our heart's Emotions, feelings, successes, and failures. Gladness speaks to the gratification of having our desires fulfilled and even to our willingness to have desire itself. For some of you, just being awakened to wanting something yet again can bring gladness. Now the Bible, 
especially the book of Psalms, like in Psalm 145, says this, the Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. Right? God reigns. And by the way, didn't our music team do great today? Did you see Johnny, like, playing four instruments at one time? Behind the glass? And our music team was served by a couple guys who put all of our sound back together. If you're like, why did it sound so good? It's because we have good sound. And so thank you for all those guys. But we sing about this idea of God reigning, let the earth be glad. And so the Bible commands us to be glad. And yet, how many of you have this deep-seated emotion right now that you came in this morning with just absolute gladness? Like, where is the joy? We know in the New Testament we should be joyful in affliction. We know that we should experience this joy that comes by the Spirit. In Romans chapter 14, uh, Paul says the kingdom of God is not a matter of what? Eating and drinking. But it's a matter of what? Righteousness, peace, and joy. Where? By me, in, and I think that's by means of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings righteousness, peace, and joy into our life. And so we want joy. We want gladness. Yet for many of us, gladness and joy is like chasing the winds. It's like elusive. Some of us have just given up hope on it. Some of us are just like, I've tried that, I can't get it, so I'm done with it. Others of you are like, you know what? The Bible just says it's through trials and tribulations that we'll enter the kingdom, and so I know my life is just going to suck the rest of my life, and so this is, this is what I got. But if you feel like joy and gladness are unattainable, maybe it's because you're confusing happiness with gladness. Happiness is getting what you think you want. Gladness is getting what you really need. Happiness is something that you try to create and manufacture, where gladness is something that the Holy Spirit does in you. Happiness is an attempt to make the external world satisfy your internal desires. When we attempt to manufacture gladness, when we're trying to manufacture, create it from somewhere out there, we're trying to snatch from an external reality something that only internally we can be satisfied with. And so the attempt to manufacture emotional and spiritual fulfillment is an attempt to avoid, it, to avoid dealing with it truthfully with our heart. What I mean by that is this, is like, why do we seek all of those external realities to satisfy us? Let me give you a quick answer. It's a heck of a lot easier. You don't want to be vulnerable. You don't want to be patient. You don't want to put the time in. You don't want the Spirit of God to actually slowly transform you. You want what we're going to call the quick fix. Instead of listening to your heart and moving into relationship with one another, we offer the heart a quick fix. The fix is immense. Is meant to control your heart by, by numbing any feeling we wish to escape. By, by numbing our feelings, we want to shut down our needs, our desires, our longings, our hopes. Fixes are our attempts to stop our dependence upon others and God for fulfillments. The writer of Ecclesiastes, which I believe is Solomon, 
he tried a lot of fixes. He said, whatever my eye desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. My heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my work. I considered all my hands had done and all the toil I expanded in doing, and behold, it was all empty. It was chasing after when there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And here's the stupid part of our depravity. You and I both know that looking for the quick fix for happiness is not really going to fix us, right? But what do we keep doing? So instead of dealing with our feelings, we look for a quick fix. And in that quick fix, all we're really doing is ignoring our emotions, our feelings. And again, you know why we hate dealing with our emotions? Because they put you in a place of need. Every time you feel lonely, you then have to say what? I need someone else. Every time you're angry, you're in need of something else to make you feel better. Like every time you feel an emotion, we hate it because there's this need. And we don't want to feel like we're ever in need. And so we push everything away and feel numb and look for these quick fixes to deal with who we are as humans. So to deal with your numb hearts, you know what we do? We keep busy. How many of you are busy this week? You know why? Because you're an American. Americans are busy. I was talking to someone this week. I, I, I hate telling people I'm busy. It's just a personal pet peeve. How are you doing? And everyone, I just want to say, you know what? I'm really busy. I'm like, that's so, that's so dumb. Like, A, I'm an American, so of course you're busy. But B, it's like, why do I, why do I want to tell people I'm busy? You're stuck like, why do you want to tell people that? Most times it's just to overcompensate for your insecurity to deal with your life that means nothing, so you have to tell everyone you're really busy to make yourself feel better. Sorry, that's truth talking. That's me. Talking to me. That's not you. That's me. That's why I say I'm busy. We organize our lives around what will entertain us. We distract ourselves with diversions such as running, sex, overeating. We recognize worth, our worth is only at work where we can get gain and recognition through success. And all of these are counterfeit fixes that temporarily satisfy, but it misses the truth about who God has made us as humans. For example, how many times have you looked forward to an event, you've anticipated something, you've looked forward for it for months, it's going to be so great, it's going to be the best thing ever, and then you get there, and in the midst of it, you're like, what? This isn't everything it was cracked up to be. Have you been there yet? Have you been there like... Just wait and go get back to normal. Life back to normal, whatever that means, right? And so now movie theaters open, and I got to go back to a movie theater. And I thought that would be the best thing ever. And the quiet place, too, is well worth your time. But my kids don't even know that. They're just finding out that I went to a movie without them. Why did I say that? But, like, we look forward to these things. 
We set all of our hopes on these counterfeit uh, temporary fixes, and then we get there and we're just like, that just didn't live up to what it should have been. So as Americans, we try to escape through entertainment, through sports, through concerts. We, we live vicariously. We live through other events, through other people. We don't actually live our life. We want to watch life on a big screen. And hear me, men, women, you'll never reach the mountaintop of life at a ball game. Okay, so for me, this means nothing. But, I mean, for me, it means everything. For you, it means nothing. A few years ago, I got a bucket list checked off. I only have like two or three bucket list items. And I got to go see, in Barcelona, Lionel Messi score a hat trick at the Camp Nou. All of you are like, whatever. Okay? And as I look back on that trip, I can honestly say what made the trip to Barcelona worth it was actually the people that were with me. Being at Camp Nou... I'll remember that the rest of my life. But you know what I will always cherish even more than that? The relationships of the people that I went with. See, entertainment is wonderful. Dancing, concert, movies, ball games, fishing. But if you are not consuming the emotional and spiritual food of relationship, you can never gratify what you've been created for. See, if you can actually deal with who we are as humans and allow the Spirit of God to create joy in us through being open and honest with our emotions with other people, the Spirit of God will bring that joy and gladness to us. Then you can actually experience all of the other things for what they are. We're moving into Matthew next week. We're moving back into Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we're starting with the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are this whole concept that I'm teaching right now, and it's like an intro. Blessed are the blank. The Bible doesn't say seek happiness. It seeks, it tells you to seek joy and gladness. And when you seek joy and gladness, guess what you'll actually also attain? Happiness. But if you seek happiness above all, you'll never get it. And so it's not wrong, please hear me, to go to a movie. It's not wrong to go to a sporting event. It's not wrong to root for the New York Giants. But what it is, it's wrong to ignore the deep, meaningful relationships to what you were created. And because of all the emotional pain in our hearts, we are not vulnerable to open ourselves up and be willing to go through all of that again that keeps all relationships at a distance, that keeps our humanity depressed and contained in a tiny little box where we can never actually show the world the true picture of humanity of what Jesus actually was, what we are created for. See, gladness is the ability to walk through all of life in all of its hardships with a heart that is delighting in the sovereign king who is making everything right. Gladness is the ability to be okay with life when life is not okay. 
Gladness is the ability that the Spirit of God brings upon the people of God that in the midst of trial, in the midst of grief, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of loneliness, that rather than repelling everyone and running away, we can actually run to our God who will in the midst of that hurt and that loneliness and that sadness provide a deep gladness that there is a day where everything that is sad is coming untrue. That's where gladness is found. Not in some quick, temporary fix. You're in John chapter 17. And I just want to close looking at a couple of scriptures with you in light of these realities. John chapter 17, Jesus is, we call it the the high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying to the Father. And in verse 13, the next day he's about to be murdered and crucified. In verse 13 of John 17, he says this, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Okay. Do you know that Jesus prayed that you and I would have the same amount of joy in our lives that he had? And you're like, well, that prayer request didn't work. (laughs) Right? Like, how many of us walk in here having the full measure of the same joy that Jesus possessed? And what I want to tell you is that prayer request is absolutely true. We just have a misguided understanding of what we're looking for. In verses 14 through 18... Jesus then talks about what this joy in this full measure is going to look like. He says, I've given them your word. The world has what? Hated them. They hate you. Why? Because we're not of this world anymore, because Jesus is not of the world. And my prayer is not that you take them out, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, these are none of it. Sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me, so I am sending you. So what Jesus is saying is, I want you to fill all of my followers with the same joy that I have as they go out into a world of trouble and trial and tribulation. Like we don't often equate the reality of joy in the midst of being sent into a world that hates us. We equate joy and gladness with life being okay and having enough money in your bank account and not having to worry about your kids and not having to worry about your job and not having to worry about all these other things. And, and what Jesus is saying is those things, are, as important as they are, cannot be where your joy is ultimately located. Where is your joy ultimately located? In one of the craziest Bible verses... And sections in all of Scripture, Jesus then adds this My prayer is not for them alone. And, and there's lots of I and you's and ones, and it takes a while to figure out what Jesus is getting at. This is I pray for those who believe me through their message that they may be what? One. Someone explain to me what it means that Jesus says, I want them to be one. What is one? Unified. And what does unity require? relationship. And let me just ask this about if you're married. A husband and wife relationship, the two will become one, correct? 
You are now one in purpose. You are one in mission. You are one in physical and spiritual and emotional ways that you are different than anyone else with. But what the marriage is, is a picture of all the people of God. And I would say this, that as humans... That oneness means you are one, not just in mission, in intellect, in a doctrinal statement, but you are one with each other in your, in your internal world as well, with your emotions, with your dreams, with your desires of living out who God has made you to be. Oneness involves every arena of who we are as humans. And God is praying, Jesus is praying to God, that we would experience that oneness. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the relationship that existed before the creation of the world between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus is desiring to go back into that context. He says earlier in John chapter 17, restore back to me what I had with you at the beginning of the world. And Jesus now is speaking of this deep, intra-Trinitarian relationship that exists, and he is inviting us into that life. That's what's happening. He goes on to say, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know you've sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. And just, there's so much there, but just catch the flow of this. God, give all of the people, your children, the same joy that I have. And they're going to need that deep abiding joy because they're going out into a world together on mission to show the new world looks like in the present. And in the midst of that, there's going to be all kinds of grief and sadness and hurt and, and anger and shame and guilt. But as they do that, make them one. Give them unity. Give them relationship with one another. Which means... You have to be willing and vulnerable to put yourself out there even after you've been hurt a million times. Without that willingness, there's no real unity. You know that in your married relationship, and the world sees that in the church today, and I pray that would not be true of who we are as a people, that we would actually be people who are one. And in light of that, you not just have to be willing to be vulnerable, but you also have to grow. You have, oh man, that's a whole other topic. My daughter's like, you better be quick today. But let me just say this. Like, you have to understand how, you, how other people experience you. You know what the most scary questions is? Ask someone, how do you experience me? You know, and be honest. You're needy. We don't want to hear that, do we? You're, all you do is talk about yourself. It's quite annoying. We don't want to hear that, do we? 
But part of what it means to be one is to be honest with each other and, and to want to grow and to be able to be aware of who we are and how we affect other people's relationships and how they affect ours. And in light of all of this joy, I want to close with this verse that you are familiar with. From Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, We fix our eyes on who? Jesus. The, the pioneer, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him. According to John 17, what's the joy that's set before Jesus? Oneness with the Father and oneness with his brothers and sisters. Do you know what the joy that was set before Jesus was you? For the joy that was set before him endured the hatred of the world, the cross scorned its shame, and is sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Church, I want us to be people who fix our eyes on Jesus, who demonstrated the fullness of what it means to be a true human, who dealt with his emotions, he communicated his emotions. They didn't rule him, he didn't suppress them who was able to impact other people and invite them into the oneness of what it means to have real, authentic relationship with people. And as he modeled that to 12 disciples, 11 of them went and changed the world upside down. Not just with a message that Jesus is Lord, but with a life that Jesus is Lord. So, Jesus, we pray that you'd help us to experience this deep, abiding joy and gladness that comes through hardship, through vulnerability, through willingness, through patience, through time, and ultimately comes from you. So I pray that you will cause us to repent of our cheap, quick fixes And actually, through your spirit, be willing to deal with all of the deep pain that we push away and ignore. And allow the spirit of God to come in and, and to cleanse all of those areas of unrighteousness and to bring healing to where there's hurts. Bring joy where there's sadness. So we bless you and we pray that this series has just opened our eyes more and more to how to be better witnesses of the kingdom for you as we seek to be one together for the sake of Jesus and in his name we pray.